Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied. I'm the host of the episode. I'm Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Delinea. And it's a pleasure to be here with a guest who is awesome and comes back to the show today. So, Kevin, welcome to the show. I'm really excited about the conversation. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, uh, the things that you get up to in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. Uh, Kevin Haynes, uh, CEO of Cyberary. And um, interested in all things uh, to do with cyber and um, helping get millions of people involved and helping, um, <laughs> helping the cause, if you will. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a, this is a big problem in the world. I mean, there's so much going on in, in the security industry and, you know, threats and problems. And I think one of the things, you know, one of the topics I think is really important in the industry is the skills gap. And how organizations can make sure that they can future-proof the hiring process because organizations are competing for the very few resources out there. And there's millions of unfilled jobs. Um, organizations are looking for highly skilled individuals. So I think for me, it's a really an area that we need to address. We need to find a way to quickly get people up to up to speed on the skills. So Kevin, can you tell me a bit about what you're seeing in the industry? You know, when it comes to the skills gap, uh, what organizations, what challenges they face. Um, what are some of the top priorities and how they can start addressing this area? Yeah. Um, you know, I, as you look at different publications, you, know, you, you, you hear or read that um, exactly what you said. There, there are millions of, you know, um, vacancies, if you will, or, or, or job postings that don't have the people um, to fill them. And, you know, depending on which publication you pick up, um, the numbers are a little different. But they're all big, uh, they're all bad, and um, my personal experience with it was um, in you know just the pain that I felt in, in a prior life trying to hire hundreds of you know cybersecurity professionals a year, mm-hmm. um, and and just they weren't there. I mean, and so um, as you described it, kind of fishing in a in a really small pond of, of resources. Yep. I, I think the first thing, Joe, from from me and which is why I joined Cyberate because I feel like this this is critical. The first thing is we can't just keep fishing in the same pond. Like that, that that's that's got to change. And so um, we really have to be much more inclusive and get I think millions more people um, involved in in this, interested in this, engaged in this. Um, you know, having curiosity about mm-hmm. this and, and seeing it as a destination for you know their purpose mm-hmm. but also but 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 also a great opportunity for them from a career perspective because they really are um, absolutely these are these are you know high they're not just i mean these are high paying jobs really good jobs yeah. um and uh they also have the benefit of of doing you know doing things to really help um you know, help the economy help organizations help people mm-hmm. And so 
you know, for me, it starts there. Um, how do we go get millions and millions and millions more people involved and you know, curious and, and learning? And then give them sort of the things that allow them to have some early success, you know, some early wins. Because, it, you know, this is a field where, man, you know, it's there's a lot. You can get overwhelmed pretty quickly and feel like, well, I'll never learn all this stuff. Like, it's yeah. so deep and it's so nuanced. And so we need, we need to help people along the way to find early wins and to get the success. And continue to invest in people um, sort of once they're in it, right? Because this is a field where I don't I don't know if there are others like this really where it just it it's continuous learning, learning never ends. It, it, can't it ever, never stops. It, it can it never, never stop. You know, and so um, yeah, and, and so we got to get people who who you know um, when I think about this, I think about some early wins and you know um, get people something where they can feel success. You know, a lot of times that can be a certain and their first certification um, because it's something that they can work for. It's kind of a path, right? It's, it's, it becomes it's, theirs. It's, it's, it's theirs for their lifetime career. But when you it get is, certification, it's, it's sort of like yeah. repeatable, predictable, a little bit in terms of how you do that. And then you feel good, right? Because you accomplish something, you, you, you get it. And then now you feel like, okay, I can, I can start to like be part of this. And But from there, to me, the certs aren't sufficient because – you really have to have people to solve the problem. You have to have people on keyboard that know what they're doing. Um, and so um, that is really the skills, capability, and knowledge piece mm-hmm. of it. So I think we have to do all those things um, mm-hmm. and and uh, do that at a, at, a, at a pretty fast pace. Mm-hmm. And I've been sort of walking around the last couple of years with, with this thought in my mind, which is... Um, you know, when I first got involved in cybersecurity, you know, eight, 10 years ago, it felt to me like we just had to have a, we, we had to have the tech in place because if you don't have the fundamental tech in place and you can't see, you don't have visibility, then, then there's no really way you're going to prevent the tech or respond to threats without having basic, you know, the basic tech in place to give you the visibility. But I feel like a lot of organizations now, they have done that. They they have the basic tech in place. Um, and what they really need to do is, is if you really sat down and thought about, okay, for the next dollar or pound that I spend, what's gonna what's going to reduce the most risk to my organization? Absolutely. And is it is it buying another layer of tech or is it investing in my team to be equipped and enabled? I, I would submit that at this stage, it's investing in the team, investing in the people. You know, uh, to have the skills and, and capability, which which unfortunately for many organizations, that's the smallest part of their budget in, is investing yeah. in people. Which which yeah. is a bit of a you know, for me, it's always okay. You you know, when you're you're even in looking at your acquisition of security solutions and purchasing, the training is always the smallest part of the budget. The certification is always the smallest part. You look to maybe get some consultants in to get you up and running. But you fail to invest correctly in the people, and a lot of that ends up coming afterwards if you fail to get the, the metrics and measurements that you want to. But I absolutely, agree. I completely agree with you that we definitely need diversity, um, because you know, in in our industry today, it used to be very much an IT industry that had a very much security technical expertise and specialization, but that's no longer the case today. Uh, you know, all of the things we look at, all of the incidents that affect organizations, it's a business response. It's a business impact so therefore we need to make sure that one is that we need all parts of the business working together we need legal experts we need communication experts pr experts we need financial experts all of they those need to be basically functional as part of this whole industry as well 
So we yeah. need better communication, better transparency. And even the point where I've seen a lot of people entering into the market, into, into the security industry, from even um, psychology backgrounds, because we need to understand the human aspect. How do we effectively make the right things happen? So absolutely diversity. And a lot of that means absolutely it's not looking at the youth coming into the industry, but it's also reskilling existing, you know, very experienced people that have been doing maybe careers in other industries or other sectors that we need to make, you know, this industry something that they want to be participating. And sometimes we make it scary for them because, you know, we only, we only, you know, the news that you see on TV is always the doom and gloom, the fear. And we need to make it something that is is an attractive industry for people to want to have their career into. Yeah. So I, that's I another area. It's, and it's like, we, we, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to give someone a chance. Um, mm-hmm. Like when you say coming from, you know, maybe they don't have the, you know, sort of the exact background or skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you give somebody a chance in the security world, like how do you do that in a way that, you know, is responsible mm-hmm. and, um you know, that, that you can minimize the risk because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, it, you know, you have to be, you have to be really thoughtful about putting somebody into a position that they just don't know. And as we said, this is deep yeah. and nuanced. Um, yeah. but I, I think we have to find ways to give those people that don't, that have those sort of non-traditional sort of backgrounds. We, we've got to mm-hmm. give them a chance. Um, absolutely. And, absolutely. You know, I, I, I've, I've found that, um, uh, some of those skill sets that you talked about coming from different backgrounds, even like mm-hmm. a therapist, like, yeah. you know, um, think about like a, uh, a, a, an incident response consultant, maybe, mm-hmm. um, who has to know how to connect to people and like with tons of empathy, right? Yeah. Because if an inc- incident response person is, is working with a, with a customer, there's probably some, it's probably a bad day, right? Yeah. There's probably a lot of emotions. <laughs> Um, and they're like having sort of a therapy background might be pretty useful. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, I've done a lot of incident response in my past and it's the most stress. It does for me. I think it's the event that leads to a lot of burnout. Uh, yeah. cause people work they're they're working 24 seven. You need to make sure that they are, you know, one of the things I remember in incident response is that the project managers, those who were kind of supporting the team was that they were just ready to get you anything that you needed. You know, if you needed a pillow just to rest yeah. for a bit. You needed a chocolate bar. You needed, you know, anything that you needed to make you comfortable during that period of time because it is very stressful. People are worried. People are fearful. People are worried for the job. People are worried that people could die as a result of those incidents. Yeah, 100%. So you absolutely need people. You know, I always remember I, I used to have one person on my team who just was was a comedian. Just made me laugh all the time. And yeah. in the worst situations, when you're dealing with those major incidents. Just a, a simple comment from him <laughs> was enough to just bring everybody into laughter and just like, okay, let's just reset, yeah. let's move forward, and let's let's yeah. keep the calm, let's keep keep the, the the momentum, let's you know keep the joy in it. That's um, a fabulous sort of way. I think something that we're sort of saying, mm-hmm. which is how do we how do we find those skill sets, bring them in, give mm-hmm. them the opportunity to really shine at what they're what what they're you know naturally good at. And then learn, sort of like be soaked in the cybersecurity sort of, you know, <laughs> you know like um, projects or work yep. and absorb that over time. Mm-hmm. So my guess is that person that was, you know, that you said that was really funny and sort of was able yeah. to sort of bring levity. Um, over time, they probably really learned a lot about security. They're probably really capable security persons, too, right? That person, the, the person on my team, I mean, I, he was in my team for like 10 years. 
and was just kind of the heart of the team at the end uh, and became very, very, I mean, one of the things my requirements always was, was a person who had the willingness to learn. They, I didn't care if they had whatever technical experience in the background, as long as they were willing to learn, because I could always teach people those skills. Uh, right. What I couldn't teach people was their personality. I can't change people's personality. And it was always about making sure that somebody was basically just interested, passionate, wanted to learn something new. And that was my basic criteria. Um, that person could be coming from a you know a linguistics background. They could be coming from, as you say, a therapist, or they could be coming from an economy background. But as long as they basically wanted to learn, you can always train a technical piece. Yeah. And that person became hugely successful. It was very, very became you know one of the top uh, team members in the team. I mean, they weren't set out to be management because um, that wasn't the direction. But they came be very, very good technically. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we need to do that a lot more and be better at identifying that mm-hmm. and then also be willing. Because, you know, I, I, um, I've i done similar things and had similar experiences where um, I, I thought that somebody with a pretty non-traditional sort of background, you know, let's give them a shot. And mm-hmm. you, you'll be, I mean, a lot of people will be un- pretty uncomfortable with that, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or not or not think it's, it's you know, a good idea. Um, and so you sort of have to, you sort of have to be open-minded that, you know, Hey, it, it, you know, it may not work, but it, mm-hmm. it might, it might work great. And so to just be willing to give it a shot, but also like do it in a responsible way, because mm-hmm. you don't want to throw somebody into something where they're going to either, you know, create, you know, create, you know, harm for, for an organization or, or, or damage sort of their own reputation mm-hmm. um, in the process. So you need to think about how do you do that in a way that you can bring people along in, in, a, in a responsible way, but yet like mm-hmm. let them soak in it, right? Enough to kind of really, really, Absolutely. really just get immersed and in, in, in up to speed. You just reminded me of a important thing as well. One of the areas I remember bringing on, you know, I, I, that was my main criteria of hiring was just getting pre- the personality and the rest that I get trained. And I remember bringing on people, and um, after a while, you're monitoring their, their, their metrics, the measurements that you're looking for. And it's always a case that sometimes you look back, and I remember there's certain cases where sometimes I had to learn things. When I onboarded somebody years ago, and uh, they appeared to be doing really well, but when you looked at the metrics, they were just underperforming. And you're going, how, how is this the case? And what I ended up doing was every now and again, I created what was called as a buddy system, a mentor system. So I could actually have somebody go and sit with them and, you know, just maybe one day a month and just to understand about, you know, how, how they're performing. And when I did that, ultimately I ended up finding that actually it was my fault in the training process. They weren't simply at the end of their task, they, they were simply missing a checkbox. And that checkbox was important for our metrics measurements. But they were actually, when we, when we corrected the training and we went back and we made sure that, you know, that was uh, something that was missed, they ended up becoming a top performer. It was all yeah. basically just simple. So sometimes we had to make sure, and it, it's, it's sometimes we had it. We had to look back at our training and make sure that we're continually improving it. Because if we assume, if we make assumptions um, that you know things have been a certain way for a long time, and uh, we don't kind of go back and 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 relook at them and improve them and make sure that we're actually you know evaluating our training methods as well, which is important, is yeah. that we're not going to get the best out of people. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier in our industry, this is an industry where you don't stop learning. And I think that's where, you know, it, when you onboard people, 
that this is not a checkbox, is not onboarding. Onboarding is part of the continuous, it's a continuous onboarding. You, you know, in this industry, you don't stop. Once you do, after a month of training, is that you don't do the checkbox and that person's now, you know, ready. You really have to invest, yeah, it, you have yeah. to keep investing in them. You have to keep improving them uh, because only the more you invest in people, the more they become loyal, the yeah. more they enjoy the job, the more they stick around. Um, and, and that's the problem is I look at the industry in some places, you do see that many of the many of the issues that we have right now, as you said, fishing in the same pool, is retention in the industry is really bad. You get people who spend six months here and rather than you know uh, being successful within the same company, they just jump between companies. So yeah. it's a battle of if you know people are six months you know going to one company and to go to another company. We want to progress to you know we want to get as much value out of people. You have to invest in them. Yeah. You to make sure that they're happy doing. It's what they're funny, doing. Joe. I, you know, because you know, cyber, you know, it's our mission mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. to, to to help here. And I will tell you that um, I'm often surprised when talking to some of our our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the individuals, um, mm-hmm. you know, because Cyber has this two-sided. You know, we we help organizations that that need to you know train their you know train their their, their, their employees, um, uh, but we also help individuals who who want to grow professionally on you know and, and get mm-hmm. into the space. And those individuals, I'm I'm oftentimes really surprised talking to them um, when I hear things like I'm not sure or I don't think my manager will invest in, in my training. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blown away, you know, and I know, I know that's true. I, I know that that exists, yep. but I'm still kind of shocked and blown away by it. Um, in that, um, like back, just back to the point of why would you hire, you, my certainly like, why would you hire somebody, you know, a security professional or somebody who's you know, transitioning, uh, you know, a workforce tra- you know, mm-hmm. transformation from maybe an IT person to a security person. Um, why would you do that if you're not going to, you know, continue to invest in them? I mean, you might as well just outsource and pray. Yeah. Um, and, and that's you know. and that's what we've seen. I mean, that's that's one of the one of the areas in the skills gap that we have in this industry is a lot of us been outsourced to service providers in order to provide that temporary, you know, you know. And 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 ultimately, what happens is the more organization uh, outsourcing is not a bad thing, but no. you have to keep it. You have to keep it in the balance. You have to keep that, and it's a fine balance. The more you outsource, the more you become less knowledgeable about your own business. <laughs> the more you'll, you become less visible about you know what could potentially the risks are. Um, so it's always a fine balance. You can you know some things you outsource because it might be very specialized, and you might not get those highly specialized skills. But you definitely want to make sure that you want to retain people. You want to invest in them. And for me, I think you know even in the industry now, that organizations need to be you know looking somewhere between thirty uh, percent of a person's time, not even just financially but time because you know what there's one thing i seen is people getting the investment into you know maybe a training course a year but they don't get the time yeah. to do it uh, or they have to do it in their own time um so for me i think you know organizations you know one day a week should be invested into continuous learning um two days a week even better um i think the organizations that's going to get the most benefit is those who invest you know 30 to 50 percent of a person's time into continuous learning and it must be of course you, you must be looking at you know that there has to be a return back to the business so it must be always related to the job or you know not you know directly 100 percent, but it can be kind of somewhat you know related in that area of field 
So I think, you know, for organizations, I think that is where they get the most value out of employees. Because once somebody learns something to be more efficient or better at doing that job or better at doing that specific skill, they do things quicker. They do things better, more consistent. Um, and I think that ultimately reduces the risk for many organizations. So, And it also gets the best out of the, the solutions they invest into um, as well, because then that person actually knows it much better, can actually get that uh, investment of technology or processes to the most value and most optimum that organizations get out of it. Yeah. So it's, it's always a fine balance. Um, yeah. Go, going back to something you said about, you know, mm-hmm. like, the, the sort of the attributes that you look for in, in hiring mm-hmm. um, and that, that 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 sort of passion to learn and curiosity you know um, it's I always really loved when people you know in interviews would ask about mm-hmm. like what what is your training you know what do you offer in terms of training benefits because I that that was sort of a key like mm-hmm. for me to say oh this person really is you know they really care about that um and I, and I wish more people would i wish more people would, would inquire about that because you know you want to be around you want to join a company that you know where you can work with people that you're going to learn from you know, respect and learn from yep. and, and a company that's going to invest in you because at the end of the day i i think um i do believe that organizations are are starting to realize that they can't just invest in tech, tech, tech. They they, they have to put you know, they have to put some investment into the in the, in the people, and um, I think in doing so, um, we should almost just think about it almost like a basic benefit of working at an organization, almost like insurance, you know, or, or other benefits where it's like, okay, I would expect this to be there and it needs to be there, and um, and it should be something that really helps people that that retention. I mean, I do understand that there are, you know, there are opportunities out there that people want to pursue to better themselves, mm-hmm. better their career. But I think a lot of security professionals, the reason, the reasons that they leave sometimes, um, maybe it's a $10,000 raise or something. But I think, I think the real reason behind it a lot of times is they don't feel like the company, they don't feel like they're growing um, or developing, you know, and, and so that really is the root reason i left my last job <laughs> so so that i didn't feel i was being invested in uh, you know that that i i felt that i became stagnant that uh that you know the company was happy me staying in that position and doing that job um and didn't want uh me kind of moving around and it, to be honest it's, if i look back on my career most of the jobs i've left is because i was being kind of held in doing the position where I wanted to grow myself. I wanted to keep learning. Um, yeah. So you're absolutely, I think that's fundamentally. One thing that I did though in the last few years, because um, I always felt that one of the, was a reason a few years ago, actually it's quite a long time, maybe seven, eight years ago, when I changed jobs was that I was being forced to relocate mm. um, into another country or city. And yeah. I didn't want to do that. So that was one of the reasons why I was not being invested in. <laughs> uh, to 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 kind of the kind of continuous learning piece, and one of the things I thought, you know, when the pandemic happened and people were then more willing to work remotely, I thought that was going to accelerate more organizations getting more people because they were going to be more flexible in where that wherever that person lived. Because I always thought that a lot of the hiring issues were people wanted them close to the office, so it was mostly focused around. You know, high competitive states, whether it being San Francisco or California, or whether right. it being 
places like in New York where they were just competing for very fewer resources, but there were so many very skilled people across the country and across the world. Right. Um, and I thought the pandemic might have opened that up more. Um, and actually, maybe it's been the reverse, actually. Maybe people have seen the opportunity to go and change jobs because of that and work for other companies that are not in their location. So um, yeah. that was my expectation, but it hasn't been, um, you know, what, what have you seen with remote working and organizations being a bit more flexible? That well, I, I do think that, um, I mean, I do see exactly that, which mm -hmm. is uh, organizations for the most part had to figure out how to, how to sort of make remote work. Mm -hmm. And and I will tell you, you know, I was running a pretty large security operations center when, when this happened. <laughs> and if you would have asked me like two weeks before, you know, um, hey, do you think you can just send your, you know, do all this stuff remotely? <laughs> um, I would have said maybe sometime way in the future, like, yeah, maybe, we, you know, but but probably not for a long time. And literally, you know, we went we went from yeah, everybody sitting in a room with you know, all the monitors and everything, everything that you would envision of a sock. We went from that to like over the weekend, like everybody working from home. Yeah. Uh, and so we figured it out and it was pretty surprising. I, I think that we, we could figure it out. <laughs> I think there's some longer term things that we're still trying to understand mm -hmm. about that because there is something to be said. Like when people are sort of, in, you know, there's an established culture and there's a, you know established mm -hmm. people. And they already know the process procedures and sort of now it's just you're doing that from a different place. But I do think about new people coming in and how, you know, how do you sort of like, you know, um, there is something still that I think we need to sort of figure out about the, uh, the, the, the operating system mm -hmm. um, that we sort of uh, is sort of missing with full remote all the time. But I do think it has allowed most organizations to sort of cast the net wider yes. um, and find and find talent, um, open the, just open the aperture, if you will, to talent and mm -hmm. be able to get some talent um, that they possibly wouldn't have before. Like, they, you know, if, if, if your mindset is, all right, I need to see this person in this seat, mm -hmm. in this, you know, in this building, in this sock or whatever, yeah. then then. That's you're limited to people who can drive in from, you know, and so that's going to be a pretty small aperture. But if, if it's literally like, I, I don't need that anymore, the mm -hmm. aperture is pretty wide. So I think that's helpful. But at the same time, we're not necessarily creating it back to the, where we started. We're not really no. have the sufficient numbers of people anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it needs, needs to be a hybrid approach. You need to have a hybrid model. And I think that's where you get the flexibility dynamics. So that yes. you give the person the choice, and but you had to find a ways to bring them together when they need to. Um, so there has to be, an, you know, whether it being certain, you know, um, or we've seen that, you know, the shared working office where we might have these, you know, basically shared kind of central hubs where, you know, organizations when they can come together. Right. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean there'd be a, an hour commute to work, but it could be one day a week. You might go to a specific city or you might fly somewhere. So right. I think looking at, you know, those, it might be a longer commute to the office for some people, but yeah. it's not as frequent. It's not as often. You, you yeah. go to do that social side of things. Because you're absolutely correct. Because for me, I've been remote working for a long time. And with the pandemic side of things, where I used to meet people mostly at conferences and events. Yeah. That's where my that's where my social activity with my colleagues was, was going to an event and, and speaking and, and engaging with them there. To the point where the last two years, I haven't met 
my colleagues face to face. And I can't, I can't imagine. I, I've been fortunate enough that I've been with the company for a long time. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough to meet many of the, many of my colleagues before that. But a lot of them in the past year or two, I have never met. Yeah. And I think meeting people in person is definitely, you know, is another benefit, <laughs> I think, yeah. of, of, a, of a job uh, that you do in a career. Um, so there has to be that engagement. So absolutely, I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I think it will be a hybrid model. And organizations need to be flexible. They yeah. need to you know, make sure that that's, you know, a, a, well, a, a I, choice. I think help with some of the inclusiveness too, Joe. Mm-hmm. Like, just, I think one of the, you know, one of the, hard things about cyber is you know it, it can feel pretty unapproachable um very specialized and and, mm-hmm. and kind of you know um hard to you know like or, or intimidating to kind of break in so I, I think the remote actually may help in that way because it's you know the flexibility like in order to do this mm-hmm. you have to be more flexible you just you just have to and mm-hmm. you know um i'll never forget I, this was about it wasn't that long ago it was probably about three years ago uh, that I was, I, I had reached out to somebody about an opportunity, a, a cybersecurity opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those ones where it was like, they had a particular skill set that wasn't, it was sort of non-traditional, but we were, I thought it would just really help with balance the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt like they would be somebody, they were really, a really sort of just, um, they just love learning, like continuous learner, mm-hmm. like just um, super motivated. So I felt like this would be a great opportunity that they could really help the team with something they're already good at. And it would allow them to, to just really learn cyber, learn a lot, but, but like be surrounded by it and just learn it. And, um, and it was a female. I reached out to her and said, look, I, you know, we talked about this and, and I think, I, I think we have something that could really get you into the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked for about 10 minutes and she said, um, I just don't know that this is this, I, that this is the right space. I don't know if this is the right thing. And I said, it's perfect. What are you talking about? And, and she said, I, I do. I wasn't, I've never been in, I was never in the military. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? And she's like, I just don't, I, I don't think this is for me. I was never in the military. And I said, why do you say that? And she said, well, everything I, everything I, I read, I read about this job posting, you know, and, and sort of the stuff out there, it, it seems like I really need have, I, I would, I wouldn't have need to, be in the military. And I said, oh my God, it was just like a light bulb. Like, so this is a person who's reading, you know, stuff out there and thinking oh. this is not she can't be in our industry because she wasn't in the military. It's like, man, we we really, we really have to think about that. And I know, I know why some of the jargon exists um, mm-hmm. and sort of the roots of it. But I, I do think in order to cast a net really widely and get millions of people, we're gonna have to be thinking about how we do that right because we, we're just going to have to open the aperture so so you, you brought up an important point which is a bit of a, an issue i have with our industry is we need to redo job descriptions we because <laughs> that is probably the fear factor for many people and it is basically when we put the skills and requirements to you know the the, the hiring process we're we, we're very technically focused but and what happens is the, the, the hiring process just look at it and go, well, we don't know how to change that into something that's actually <laughs> English or language, you know, communicated in a way. So they just basically, basically take our technical jargon and just post that as a job description. Yeah. And ultimately, when people look at that, in, our, in the industry, I've, I spoke to so many peers that are just like fed up with looking at those really horrible job descriptions that is full of acronyms 
that sometimes is asking for more years experience in a technology that has never been around that long yes. and looking for certifications that need you to have like, you know, five to 10 years experience. And we want to be inclusive. I think that, you know, we have to make a way that, you know, our, our job, job descriptions are sometimes like ULIS, license agreements. And, and people, you know, that confuses people. It scares people away. And if we want to get it, we have to change the way that we put, you know, we advertise the, the, the positions. I think that's a, that's a big challenge. And every time, you know, my peers, I, I see them sharing some of the posts on social media and just like, oh. yeah. You know, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's always a scary thought. And I think that if there's one area that we can be better at that could take immediate effect, it's for all of those, you know, anyone who's listening to the podcast right now, you know, if you're in the process or your, your job is responsible for doing job descriptions, you need to completely simplify it. Yeah. To make it more attractive, because we were all guilty. Yeah. I'm guilty as charged. Um, Absolutely, years ago that was what we did, you know, because yeah. we were looking for technical people. But now yeah. we need to be inclusive. And it's it's sort of like a you know like it's a little bit of a um a little bit lazy because it's a little bit of a sort of a way to filter you know uh, yeah. LinkedIn sort of searches and things like that. Um, because even you know like a lot of times recruiter we, we don't take the time to help recruiters really understand what it is we're actually mm-hmm. you know, looking for um and so we kind of use some of those things as a way to say okay we'll go, we'll go look for this right or, or, or you know um and, and and it's sort of a way uh, i think a lazy way to kind of try to save time mm-hmm. on the on the, on the you know, interviewing process mm-hmm. um because we probably all experienced you know the you know I mean, let's face it, like back to the skills problem, um, you probably have to talk, you know, sort of cast the net out to a hundred people to find one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because, because we're all fishing in the same pond. So it's, I think, it's, I think we do it for those reasons, but you're absolutely right. If you're out there listening to this, you know, like we, we, we do have to be better and, and yeah. all of us, include myself. And, pick pick and, one thing that you really mandatory need, but don't, don't put so much. It's like, you know, it, it's you can't have somebody you know ten years experience in penetration testing and having network certifications and and um, and, and it, the list just goes on and on. You know, if there's something that you mandatory need for that position, just ask the one thing. The rest we we can always retrain. We, like we can always train that person. Like maybe one of the things we should be most insistent mm-hmm. upon is like that curiosity and 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 just hunger to learn because. Like mm-hmm. you said, if you have the one thing that we really need and you have that, like the rest will take care of itself generally. Exactly. So I have another question for you. It's interesting because it's been a big uh, thing, especially in, in very experienced people in the industry as well as imposter syndrome as well, is people who's in the industry feel you know, sometimes that because, I mean, even even myself, there, there's so much to learn. I can, I can never know everything. Yeah. Um, and I've been benefiting that I know quite a you know, I know the person I can go to and ask a question who can help me with those answers. Yeah. Um, but people find that a lot of imposter syndrome just because um, they, they get stuck in, in, in feeling that, you know, their kind of process or, you know, they, they are skilled in a certain place, but not in another place. Um, what's, what's your thoughts around that? How, how can people make sure that they can get uh, feel included in the industry? Because it can be quite also aggressive and social. You know, a lot of people yeah. out there are very negate people very quickly, um, and I think it's it's. I, I would rather our industry be more welcoming 
um, yeah. and you know providing people with the ways to you know feel that they're they can be open about i i don't know the answer to that uh, but i'm willing to learn it uh, um, rather than all of a sudden <laughs> i think you hit on a really key thing which is just growth-minded um yeah. and i think it's you know one thing that maybe a mindset which is mm-hmm. um Maybe the mindset piece you have to have is that it's okay not like nobody's gonna like nobody's gonna know all this stuff like I don't care mm-hmm. who you are. Um, and the other thing that's kind of cool about our industry that I thought of like for new people coming in because you know there's some industries where it's like all right unless unless you were here at the beginning you know of time <laughs> like you'll never catch up with you know you'll never catch up with the best right because they they were here at the beginning. Um, yep. I was like man you know a new person can come in because if you were here at the beginning of time, you probably, like, that doesn't help you too much. I mean, maybe a little bit. Not too many companies using COBOL these days. Exactly. <laughs> like, so it's like, it changes so fast. It's almost an advantage for the new person because they're so like, you know, a lot of times people do get complacent in their learning. Mm-hmm. And so like, if, you, if you've been in it for 10 years, maybe you're more complacent than the newcomer who's like just so hungry to learn. So like give them a year, they may be like, you know, so it's an advantage. So I, I, I say first is just the mindset of don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to just dive in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, you're going to find those closed-minded people and the sort of the know, know-it-alls. Mm-hmm. But but you're also going to find the people who generally like just want to give back to the community. That's one of the cool things yeah. about the cyber community is there's so many people who just do it for the purpose. Like they, they, they would do it whether they're getting paid or not. Um, because they love it and generally they want to help people like there's there's massive amount of people like that so like like go find them and if you find the closed-minded ones or the you know the ones that are sort of you know not fun to be around like don't be around them like there's plenty of ones that that want to help people and um at the end of the day there's a lot of folks that that are sort of you know more senior Mm -hmm. and they generally start to understand that their biggest contribution to the industry going forward is going to be through others yep. you know and, and find those people who, who are wired that way and um and, and just be really curious right mm-hmm. um ask tons of questions and and uh like i said i i think for us as um um that, that are in the industry already mm-hmm. um we should really encourage that um, absolutely. Yeah, great questions are, are, are a gift. Absolutely, I completely agree. And I think you made a great point is that, you know, the technology changes really fast and people can basically get up to speed very quickly. And and therefore, always it's always about continuous learning. It's about finding the, the, you know, and there's so many amazing people in the industry that have, you know, I've benefited. And even still today, I, I, you know, I call them friends and mentors. Uh, that uh, I go to just for advice and just for direction sometimes, um, yeah. and it's always getting that reassuring. And so you know, because I, I, one of the things I used to be a perfectionist, and it was one of my one is it was one of my kind of good skills, but it was also a bad skill. It was one of those things that can be you know good way that you will always you know learn the detail, the very fine yeah. detail, but it was also a weakness in my area where I wouldn't share. I wasn't sharing with others. And, uh, you know, and I got to the point where one of my mentors in the past uh, said to me, you know, it's like you have to learn that you have to share. Sharing the knowledge early allows you to make sure you get the feedback. 
Um, and it's one thing that I've changed in my entire career, and it's changed my career completely, mm-hmm. where it's made that, yes, I see, for example, the value of you know being open, mentoring others. And I thought, when I started doing that, when I started mentoring others in the industry to try and get you know, close and giving them opportunities to try and help them with speaking engagements or to introduce them to others who might be able to help them in certain fields, whether they're you know, interested in getting into instant response or they wanted to do malware analysis and you're getting, here's a person who's the best in that field and they'll you know, provide you with some direction and, and, and knowledge. For me, I thought, I thought it was going to be you know, you know, something that I would be giving back. But in the same return, I have learned so much from doing that as well. So yeah. you know, when you find in that, in that position, is that you start learning from them. They start becoming, you know, well, well, I thought it was, you know, about doing a good thing, but actually, in the return, it's actually very valuable back. You start learning about, you know, new ideas and being creative, and, and I think that's where absolutely we all as an industry have to work together because yeah. this is something yeah. that we you can never win alone. Uh, and I think this is where it's it's all about a community. It's all about finding, you know, the best of the community. And to really make that facilitate it, maybe you know, make it. And that—that's what this podcast is all about. It's about bringing thought leaders together uh, to share their experiences and to get those ideas and thoughts out to as many people as possible. So, yeah. so it's, yeah. it's great having you on the show. And I think, I mean, this has been—I think this is a really important topic. And I think, you know, for me, I think we really need to look for those creative ideas about how to be inclusive, how to open up, you know, uh, organizations to really look and beyond to to really redefine onboarding to being continuous learning to continuous investing people if you're that manager of a security yeah. team that's out there um, mm-hmm. and you've got those open roles and you're just not sleeping well at night because you know you've mm-hmm. got you know you you know and let's face it a lot of these things are they're they're, they're around the clock you know three yep. you know three shifts and you know you've You've got to find that, you know, person who's capable at that third shift, you know, and uh, or, or or you had you had somebody who was really key leave mm-hmm. uh, and you're and you're just sort of facing this huge gap um, and, and everybody else is now sort of really stressed. And let's face it, these things happen, you know, they're, they're never convenient. So like when you're when you're really sort of short staff, that's, you know, like now there's a now there's you're working an incident or whatever. It's a horrible place to be. Um mm-hmm. And so I think we really have to figure out um, how do we grow this? Um, how do we get you know, more and more great people interested? Because the opportunity and the careers and the way to help your, you know, help your help your career, help your profession, help your life, mm-hmm. they're all there. Um, it's just that we got to get the right funneling of, of people to to them. And for whatever reason, it's just not work. It's, it, it's sort of that flywheel isn't turning like it really needs to. So it's we've got we've got to make progress. Then. Absolutely, I agree. I think you know a lot of these topics. Uh, I think they're all actionable. They're not things that you know. It's it's not impossible. I think we can solve this as an industry. Uh, I think the more that we talk about it, the more we share the ideas. That I think really they'll pick it up. So, uh, Kevin, it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, we should definitely have this more often. I think you know, definitely for the audience, you know, listening to to these topics and you know really gives them hopefully. You know, some organizations out there listening will go and you know completely redefine their hiring process to really open it up further to get more yeah. choices, more people coming in, and and ultimately it might find that you know that retention challenge and getting the right people and waiting for a long time to find those is that they will go away because if they make their organization attractive for you know investing in people and for those who want to learn, they will yeah, become very valuable. 
Thanks for having me. And I, I would just leave people with this one question, which is if you're out there, you know, think about, all right, for the next, for the next dollar that I spend or the next pound that I spend, what truly would help my organization the most? Is it, is it, is it investing in my people? Um, what would really make a difference in retention, you know, attraction, reducing risk, um, being capable? You know, and maybe maybe it is maybe it is adding another tech, another piece of technology, because that could certainly be the case. But I'd, I'd also submit that for many organizations, I I do believe that investing in the, in developing your people would probably yield the best benefit. Um, and that's not always the case, right? Sometimes you gotta you gotta deploy the tech, but mm -hmm. um, I'd ask people to really consider that. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I think you know, definitely automation is an important area there, where you know, people who can take what they do and, and automate it. But yes. that frees, you know, people get worried that that's replacing their job, no. but it's not. It's about no. allowing to go work in the things they. It gives them more time to 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 learn. Yeah, <laughs> it I gives them more time. About, like, you know, what's the residual of of what's left over after automation is actually the hard the harder stuff. Like yeah. that, those are the real challenges, and automation leaves a lot of residual hard stuff. So Absolutely. you can't right. automate everything. Yeah, exactly. So, Joe, it's great. Thank you so absolutely. much. Uh, hope everybody has a, 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 a great day and and uh, gets something out of this. Absolutely, for sure. So for the audience, you know, it's been a pleasure having Kevin back on again. You know, the conversations, discussions with Kevin is always hugely popular. So um, hopefully everyone enjoyed the show. Uh, definitely make sure you go and subscribe uh, and so you can get actually go and listen to some of the previous podcast episodes. And uh, make sure that you actually keep up to date with the future ones that's coming because we have got some great, really, guests coming on in the upcoming shows. So stay tuned, subscribe, and uh, again, tune every every two weeks, 401 Access Denied, the podcast that really brings you really important topics that can be really significantly changing in our industry. So stay safe, take care, and see you again soon. Thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.